situation. He took a pinch in the back. He got beaten for crying out loud. We used heart attack. Me. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. Credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? The castration of the major league baseball managers. We know it. Ask me about my winner. What I'm looking to do today is talk about why I believe baseball has gotten this whole Hall of Fame credibility thing wrong. And I really do think it gives the players that are getting Hall of Fame nominations and enshrinement today a little bit of a bad name. And it's almost causing a little bit of pause and it's causing a little bit of an over-analysis on their qualifications, and it all comes down to the simplest thing. You have an entire generation, basically, from the years of 1990 to 2010 or 2015-ish, where we're choosing to not credit the greatest baseball players of that time. And I've said, I've accused former baseball commissioner Bud Selig and baseball Hall of Fame um, office person or whatever they want to call her, Jane Forbes Clark, of having a lot to do with manipulating the Hall of Fame into what it is right now. And you're taking a time that should be very special for Fred McGriff. And you've heard, if you listen to the past ball show for the last several years, you know my take when it comes to the interest in wanting to get Fred McGriff in, the crime dog, 493 home runs. If he hits just seven more home runs, there was no doubt that he was going to be a no-doubt Hall of Famer. Now, you're looking at all the other stuff that's happened, and I think of the obvious ones, Bonds, Clemens, Palmero. They would be the first three that got to get in right away, and then you got to throw A-Rod in the mix too. Now, we're a little soft on the hardcore A-Rod push into the Hall of Fame because he's only been on the ballot a couple of years. But you look at all the players that are not in. Pete Rose, Joe Jackson, Kurt Schilling. And, you know, there's a handful of others. And, you know, I can make a case that Kurt Flood was one of the greatest pioneers of baseball because of his sacrifice and what he was willing to do, basically not play another game in his major league career because he didn't want to be traded from St. Louis to the at-known-time racist city of Philadelphia, that he should be part of Baseball's Hall of Fame, that he was as much of a grandfather to free agency as Marvin Miller is. Yet, we're not having this discussion right now. And a lot of it's going to be the same discussion we're going to have until baseball um, opens its hand up and allows the most deserving players from the years of 1990 to 2010, 2015-ish get their place in baseball's Hall of Fame. And you look at the case that was made for Scott Rowland, and I appreciate those that worked hard at it. I appreciate the, the, the Sabre members. I re- appreciate the people that are very uh, in love with the stat of wins above replacement. And, I don't know, in my opinion, believe a little more in it than I do. So good for them. They got Scott Rowland in. And Scott Rowland was a very good baseball player. He's forever going to be known as a Hall of Famer. So when he signs his name on a baseball, he's going to put HOF by it because 
He is a freaking Hall of Famer. Now, was he Mike Schmidt? Was he Brooks Robinson? Was he Eddie Matthews? Because when I when I start to think of the greatest baseball players of all time, I would actually be more in a favor in favor of enshrining the best of the best. Were you the Babe Ruth out of what you did? Were you Josh Gibson behind the plate with the amount of power that you had? Were you Satchel Paige or Cy Young in your ability to to pitch and dominate? Were you on that level? Because if not. Maybe you shouldn't be in a baseball Hall of Fame. Now, unfortunately, the Hall of Fame is opening up because there's an entire generation of baseball players that are not given their worthy consideration. And you want to say it's what? Because of steroids? Was there a rule that I'm missing that says that you couldn't use performance-enhancing drugs? Was there a, uh, a designation to say that this was the only time that any that players were ever devious over the course of their runs in baseball. Baseball went way before, you know, there was uh, all integration. Uh, baseball itself was at the forefront of holding blacks out of its very game, led by a Hall of Fame commissioner, who we'll talk about a little later in Kennesaw Mountain Landis. So while we're all talking about baseball being on the up and ups and wanting to police its own game, yet just completely ignores its past transgressions. And all of a sudden, they want to hold Barry Bonds out. They want to hold Roger Clemens out. They want to hold Rafael Palmaro out. They want to hold Alex Rodriguez and Manny Ramirez and Sammy Sosa out. For what? You know, Pete Rose, Joe Jackson, Kurt Schilling. Kurt Schilling's not in the Hall of Fame because... The baseball writers don't like him, and he doesn't like the baseball writers. Is that a legitimate reason to talk about? Should that even be as a possibility when it comes to the Baseball Hall of Fame? He's not in a Hall of Fame because he doesn't get along with the baseball writers. I mean, that's one that should be fixed right away. And once again, it's taking away from the attention that should be spent on honoring Fred McGriff. Part of honoring Fred McGriff is probably going to be talking about why baseball missed him for so many years. What was baseball thinking when its writers were, for 15 years, had the opportunity to put Fred McGriff in the Hall of Fame? And the Veterans Committee had a couple cycles and ballots to be able to get this right. It's, it's not the time to talk about why, because it's a time to honor the great career by the former Blue Jays and Braves and Padres and several other teams' first basemen who hit a ton of home runs. And, of course, Scott Rowland. And, I, like I said, I look at Scott Rowland, and I, I will never not identify him as a Hall of Famer. He was a very good third baseman. He won some gold gloves. He had one season that I think should have been legitimate as far as a candidacy for the MVP. I look at his 2004 season with the St. Louis Cardinals where he hit over 300, had over 1,000 OPS. He really was the leader of that Cardinals team. That Cardinals team does not make it to the World Series in 2004 without his leadership. And I absolutely give him credit for that season. But Hall of Famers have seasons like that year after year. Now, Scott Rowland, once again, 
He's a Hall of Famer, but his presence in a Hall of Fame is going to dilute the Hall of Fame of what I was talking about earlier when I mentioned the names of Ruth and Aaron and Mays and Cy Young and Walter Johnson and Christy Mathewson and Ty Cobb and Ted Williams. You know, Greg Maddox is in a Hall of Fame. There's no dispute about Greg Maddox's dominance over Major League Baseball. Tony Gwynn's in a Hall of Fame. Nobody, well, unless you're extremely deluded in your own mind, isn't going to not acknowledge how great Tony Gwynn was. But once again, it's not just about rolling here. It's not just about Harold Baines, who many people want to reference. It's the consideration that's given to Tony Oliva, who was a, a very good hitter. Unfortunately, his career was cut short because of injury. A career that many say, including myself, mirror that of Don Manningly. Or in a different regard, Dale Murphy. Players that were very successful at the beginning of their career were considered amongst the best in the very sport that they played, and their career fell off because of a major injury. Dale Murphy's drop was very drastic and quick. Don Mattingly's was drastic, but he also played basically under a different player. A player that was not the same. He was a good hitter. He could hit close to 300. He didn't have the power. He didn't have the ability to carry a team on his back. He wasn't winning batting titles and MVPs in the last, whatever, six to eight seasons of his career. But I look at Tony Oliva being in, and I say, well, why not Mattingly? Why not Dale Murphy? Why not other players that were very good, like Keith Hernandez and Al Oliver and Dave Parker? I, I think the Hall of Fame is going to be more attainable for players like that than in the near future for more deserving players like Bonds and Clemens and Palmero and A-Rod. And I think it's a shame that baseball has not done enough to want to honor the best to ever play its game. Speaking of the best, and I really believe this man was one of the best to ever do it. We lost Tim McCarver, who was a one-time Passball Show guest, but most importantly, a long-time broadcaster for a couple generations. He retired as a Major League Baseball catcher after the 1979 season and joined the Philadelphia Phillies broadcast team in 1980, came back as a Major League player in September of that season, so he can be the 11th player to play in four different decades. But prior to his broadcasting career was a catcher for well over 20 years with the St. Louis Cardinals, Philadelphia Phillies, Boston Red Sox, and Montreal Expos. Towards the end of his career, he was Steve Carlton's personal catcher. The World Series champion a couple times, right, with the St. Louis Cardinals in the 1960s was part of the Philadelphia Phillies team that won the World Series in 1980, but I don't think he gives himself credit for that. He was a he, he was up there as a September call-up, and like I said, was looking to advance his own career. But McCarver really became 
a voice of multiple generations behind the microphone, both on a local level, first with Philadelphia in a long time as a New York Mets broadcaster, a little bit was a broadcaster for the New York Yankees and St. Louis Cardinals, but became a national broadcaster for Fox, where he teamed up with Joe Buck for many, many years. Um, An extremely opinionated individual, but what made him so great was the amount of research he could put into what he did. And he's an inspiration to me. I couldn't do half of what I do right now, and I don't really think I do very much. Host a measly podcast. But he inspires me to put the effort I do into the research that I do when I do a program. And he's going to be missed. I, I, I first got into watching baseball with Tim McCarver as a broadcaster along with Ralph Kiner. And I look at his body of work and everything he brought to the game, um, the amount of interviews he would do before the game and the people he would speak with, and his own preparation, how he, he would study excuse me, different things that were going on And he would bring up unbelievable things that you wouldn't even think of throughout the course of the broadcast. We're going to miss Tim McCarver. Baseball is not going to be the same. I think of different people that have covered baseball for a long period of time. And this is the end of a very long era. As McCarver was one of the base, really one of the institutions in sports broadcasting. Another former PBS guest has passed away within the past week, and that's former Detroit Tigers left-hand pitcher Brian Dubois. The left-hander got into, I think, two major league seasons in 90 and 91 with them. Um, Was 0-4 of a pitch to a sub-2 ERA, which I spoke to him about uh, when we did an interview. I think it was in, like, 2013 or 2014. And, you know, he talked about, yeah, he was lucky. He gave up more runs than were earned, so it looked a little better. But he got the course of a couple different major league seasons and was very good. Um, you know, and very, I was very appreciative to have him come on the show. So rest in peace to Brian Dubois as well. As we're moving on, we got a new segment to the show that I'm going to get a little bumper or something going on with it. Um, it's going to have a little something to do with this. And I'm going to unmute it and play it out. This is going to be a piece of it. But we're going to jump right into this day in sports history after you listen to this. Save the clock tower. Save the clock tower. So on this day in sports history, back in 1922, Judge Kennesaw Mountain Landis resigns his position to become baseball's first commissioner. And I've spoken for many lengths about Landis and his just the fact that he was unwilling to listen to an America and a game that was willing to change at the time. He basically said black players were not going to play on the field, the same field as white players, over his dead body and left it. He, he really meant it. He really meant it until the day he freaking died. He would not, there would not be black players playing on the same field as white players. 1943, New York City lumberman William D. Cox becomes the Philadelphia Phillies owner. And what stands out about that 
is he was just 33 years of age. At that point, one of the youngest owners in the history of Major League Baseball. 1944, speaking of young, 15-year-old Joe Nuxall signed a deal with the Cincinnati Reds at age 15. That year, he would make his Major League debut, would be the youngest player to play in baseball history. In 1973, Richard Petty wins the Daytona 500. Exactly six years later, would win it again on the same day in 1979. Now, what stands out about the 1979 Daytona 500 was the fact that it was the first time that the race was broadcast from start to finish. 1990, Derek Cope won the Daytona 500. 1996, Dale Jarrett won the Daytona 500. 2001, Michael Waltrip won the Daytona 500, but that took a backstage to one of the more terrifying moments caught on camera, and that was the death of NASCAR legend Dale Earnhardt in an accident during that very Daytona 500. Kevin Harvick would win the race six years later, and Austin Dillon would win the Daytona 500 in 2018. Birthdays on February 18th. Um, George Gipp was born on this day in 1895, you know, known as Win One for the Gipper. He tragically died in 1920, you know, just 25 year lifespan. In 1898, Enzo Ferrari. Obviously, the proprietor for uh, the Ferrari car dealership um, would pass away in 1988, but he was born on this day in 1898. Um, dominant Major League Baseball second baseman Joe Gordon, and I believe Hall of Famer. Let me just confirm. I, I should have known this off the top of my head, but Joe Gordon was born on this day in 1916. And Joe Gordon, yes, is a Baseball Hall of Famer. He was inducted in 2009. Gordon, a very good Major League Baseball career with the Yankees and then the Indians. Uh, Multiple-time World Series champion in the years of 38, 39, 41, and 43 with the Yankees. And then 1948 with the Cleveland Indians. Um, all-time pinch hit leader for a long time until Lenny Harris broke the record, but um, one of the best pinch hitters in Major League Baseball, Manny Mota, was born on this day in 1938. Long-time Denver Broncos owner and three-time NFL champion, Pat Bolin, was born on, on this day in 1944. He passed away in 2019. Long-time NHL goalie, most notably with the Oilers and the Boston Bruins, Andy Moog was born on this day in 1960. And former PBS guest and longtime NFL linebacker, most notably with the New York football giants, Gary Reesons, was born on this day in 1962. Uh, longtime NHL center and uh, the first to defect from Russia to play in the United States, Alexander Mogilny was born on this day in 1969. Um, deaths on this day in the world of sports on February 18, 2023. James J. Corbett, the former heavyweight boxing champion, passed away on this day in 1933. Longtime baseball broadcaster and legend Harry Carey died on this date in 1998. The before-mentioned Dale Earnhardt, 
was tragically killed on this day in 2001, the same day that former Baseball Hall of Fame third baseman Eddie Matthews, who I mentioned earlier, passed away um, on this day in 2001. Now, I did want to touch a little bit on the XFL. There's not going to be so much going on. I think it's going to be um, just a lot to see the quality of play. Uh, I was one of the very few that was kind of getting into it when it when it started back up in 2020, and I don't think anybody really anticipated uh, what ended up happening in regards to the coronavirus and really sports getting shut down for a series of months. But uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, hopefully it'll be some good quality of play and something worth following. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Alwishes Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. The Passball Show can be found on YouTube, uh, Apple Music, Amazon Music, Spotify, anywhere you find your podcast. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.